0: Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. I'd like to welcome you to a continuation of our ongoing 45 years ongoing series of self-empowerment discussions. These are meant to inspire us to think a little differently, look at all the different truths that we're not availing ourselves of, in effect to repurpose truth in a different way today than what we have in the past. Today's lecture and discussion will be on, can we handle the truth? Well, of course we can, so you say. There's a beautiful background. This is the yoga hut. We're up in the mountains where you have have, uh, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Texas, Northeast Texas. Beautiful lake here, swans, and there are people here who've been here for almost eight weeks. We're in quarantine. No one's sick, everybody's ideally healthy. And, but we can't go off the property as a result. I looking in the mirror and thinking, oh my God, my hair's like 1970. <laughs> I like the 1970s though, that was a cool period. So anyhow, uh, so none of us can go out for a haircut. I, I intentionally thought, I'm gonna get ahead of this. I'm gonna cut six inches of my hair. So I went in, got this barber, I, I held my hair up and I said, cut right to there, he did. It's all grown back. So this is not normally how I look and there's a nice wind, beautiful aromas near, honeysuckle, lavender, lilac, jasmine. So when we're doing our power walking, spacing about 20 feet apart from each other, around all these over 50 acres, you're in nature, you're greening, it's just wonderful. And for those of you who are stuck in apartments or homes or not getting out, get to a local park. Green time is essential for your well being because it distresses you, and anything that distresses you helps your immune system. To the topic at hand, it seems self-evident that we all accept the truths in our own lives, but here's the question. What if your truth is not truth to everyone? Do you live by individual truths, collective truths, or universal truths? So we have individual realities, collective realities, Family realities, cultural realities, class realities, and universal realities. And I noticed this growing up where everyone I asked about life issues, they were very confident and comfortable in their life. Even when they were sick, they assumed it was normal to be sick. I'm 35, I'm 40, I'm middle-aged, they would say. So it's normal to have diabetes and high blood pressure. And those who were over 50 and hitting 60, they were at their death date So therefore, it was normal, if they died at 60, well, they lived a good long life. By what standard? But we didn't know how long the Hunzakuts were living in the Himalayas at 8,000 feet, 10,000 feet. For 2,000 years, the descendants of Alexander, the greats armies, the generals that defected and went there and created a a unique culture, the longest-lived people in the world ever recorded. Some of the men there were out on horseback playing horse pony after the age of 100. I know because the emir, the ruler's family came to see me to see if I could use my radio show on WMCA, which had a very large audience, they influenced public opinion about Pakistan and China building a road right through their country, and they knew what would happen. Do you remember James Hilton's uh, film Lost Horizons yeah. with Ronald Coleman? Mm-hmm. That was based on Hunza, you know, the Shangri-La, the Lost Valley. Well, indeed, they would fast for as much as a month in the spring until new fruits grew, and they would live every day off special things they grew, fermented foods, lots of fermented foods, lots of probiotics. Now, mind you, they're having this conversation with me in the early 1970s. Right now, when someone says the biome in your system or the good bacteria in your system, of which are over a trillion in just your gut, you say, ah, probiotics, sauerkraut, kefir, yogurt, yeah, apple cider. But they had dozens of foods that they would ferment and that kept their biome healthy. They didn't have any scientific studies to validate that. They had life experience. So their truth was eat that which you can grow, which is organic. They had no sprays. By the way, they had no jails because there was no crime. And they had elders resolve all conflicts. So there was no highly contentious environment. You didn't marry until after the age of 30. Could you imagine the maturity that you would have learning about life issues to prepare you for when you did get married? Let's say at 33, I think it was your average age, versus getting married in America at 17, 18, 19. And depending upon where you live in the South, you could get married uh, in your teens, 15, 16, back in the 1950s and later. Well, how mature are you? What do you know about life? We had children having children. And when you're 14 and you have a kid, you have no way of understanding how to deal with that. So we make a lot of mistakes. Even today, the United States is the least safe place in all of developed civilization on the planet to have a baby and live to year one. We're the last, last place. More children died during birth, or miscarriages, or stillbirths, or in the first year. Nobody talks about that, and yet that's an issue. So one person's truth, if they have a midwife, a nurse midwife in particular, they have a higher chance of having a healthy delivery, both for the mother and child, than in a hospital, in a maturity ward. So you've got two truths. Only obstetricians, gynecologists know how to deliver a baby in our medical setting. And another truth, the nurse midwife. We can deliver a child without the episiotomies and cesarean sections at the same level. Now, if there's an emergency, yeah, they're gonna take them in and get that done. But they've worked with them. And so you have a very high rate of success. And here, you don't. Here, Those nurse practitioners, more often than not, and the the home birthing people understand what a woman's diet should be, and her exercising, breathing, from the time pregnancy begins right through, they follow them up for months afterwards. You would think that if you're getting all the success here, and you're not getting anywhere comparable success here, and you're getting a lot of dead mothers and babies here, someone here would say, what are you doing? But you can't about anything. What do I mean? I mean, if you're a Republican you can't listen to a Democrat, a Democrat you can't listen to a Republican, a conservative can't listen to a liberal, a liberal can't listen, and nobody listens to libertarians except libertarians. An agnostic or an atheist is not going to be happy having a conversation about anything of a spiritual nature with someone who is a, a believer in some universal consciousness that person will have a hard time, if not impossible time, talking with someone who is ultra-orthodox in a religious belief, where everything is absolute. It is written, and it is not to be altered. If there's a word in the Bible, or the Torah, the Talmud, then you have to accept that that's the absolute word, a divine word. And therefore, you, if you challenge them on that, they're going to say, you're a heretic. Not only will they not listen to your arguments, but They will defend the merits of everything, even as impossibly foolish as it may be. I took 139 pages out of the Old Testament. And I don't know if any of you heard the show, but I decided, I told my producer, get me the smartest religious scholar in America. The best. And he found the chairman of the Department of Religious Studies at North Carolina University. And I had that debate. And I simply ask him basic questions. I'm going to read from the scriptures. You tell me whether or not this is reasonable or unreasonable. And I would read scriptures that to any reasonable person, you'd think, whoa, that's a little extreme, isn't it? Yeah, it's more than a little extreme. It's genocide. But that debate was an interesting debate because I I didn't challenge his belief. I simply said, isn't it possible to look at the best of what every religion has to offer, that which is most moral and ethical and meaningful and reasonable, and use that. And that which you do not find ethical, meaningful, reasonable, you can let go. And he said, yes. Do you remember, any of you hear that debate? One. What do you remember about that debate, John? That he agreed with you at the end. He agreed with me at the end. Yes, Yes. and this was a whole hour. He was one of those rare people who did not try to defend his arguments by an absolute mindset. This is where I'm a scholar, I'm the expert, I'm acknowledged expert, I'm an author, I have the degrees, therefore my voice, my truth is the supreme truth and will collapse all other truths underneath of it. He was open. Now there's a Dr. Ibrahim Malik, PhD from Harvard, close friend of mine for 45 years. And he is one of the leading imams for the Muslim faith all over the Northeastern United United States. I invited him on the program, I think last time about 10 years ago. He'd been on many times. He's been to retreats like this. You would never know what he does because he's very humble. He comes across as just an ordinary person with a very engaging intellect. I gave him the same thing. I said, here are these statements out of your religious book, tell me if they're reasonable or not. He made an interesting statement. He said, I would agree with some, I would disagree with others. It depends upon who wrote them, during what period of time, what their own identity of the situation was. And he said, but we're told that this is all one word and one truth, and it's, you cannot challenge it. But he was of a person who would challenge it. Now that, going back 30 years, that made him uh, an interesting person because he was not willing to say that there is just one truth and no other truth. He acknowledged there could be other truths. The trouble is that in every single aspect of life, we do not look for any other truth. We are educated, indoctrinated, and conditioned to believe in one truth at every level of life, in every institution, in everything we do. For example, I'm what you would call an ethical vegan. I've been an ethical vegan almost my entire life. There was no one else who even wanted to have that discussion growing up. There was always the taunts, and, the, and I took it, you know, these are my friends and they're going to make fun of you, and that's okay. Um, but they thought it was too esoteric. Too weird that I wouldn't want to eat meat. So when I would give him the reasons, I, I, I said, I'm willing to eat meat today. I'm willing to go to your home and eat your dog. All right, you barbecue it, you kill it, barbecue it, skin it. Maybe you can use its fur, you know, for something. And uh, and and you go ahead and grill it, and I'll eat it. No, I'm not <laughs> going to do that. They said, no. Well. I can show you chickens I got that will come over and sit on your lap and give you a hug. I can show you cows that you can call out their name and they'll come running right across a pasture and bury their head there right in your stomach so you can pet them. Heifers the same way. Pigs are really smart. I had a pot-bellied pig, a miniature pot-bellied pig, true miniature. Most people don't get the true miniatures. It starts off this big and then it gets about this big. (laughs) But that real pot pig, pig, smarter than a dog. i go out for a run every day, it'd run right beside me on the track down in Texas. I'd go for a swim across the lake, it'd swim right beside me, right beside me. And it'd be looking over at me all the time as we are swimming. It's just as cute as can be. I'd eat, she'd sit there, and then I would put a plate, and uh, it was actually a bowl, and she wanted to see what I was eating. You know, and she'd look around what I was eating, then she'd look at what she was eating, then she'd look at what I was eating, she'd look at <laughs> Are you eating something? Are you holding anything back, Gary? <laughs> and she'd have her meal. Then we'd go for a walk together. They're very clean. They like being clean. But when you put them in confined conditions, they're going to be muddy. They're going to be depressed. They're, they're, but they're sentient creatures. They have a knowledge of life. They have a knowledge of themselves. They can understand each other my monkey uh, that I have to keep for life because she has no teeth so she can't defend herself. If I put her around any other the monkey, they'd kill her. But she, uh, she'll go out and she'll run out and she'll grab a donkey's tail and the donkey goes to kick and she'll run back and she'll stand between my legs. She'll grab my pants and she'll like this. <laughs> and then when it turns its head, start will run over and grab it again <laughs> and run back. Well, We have Sally the cat, she's 25. Sally runs the place, she's like the queen. She has a bench she lays on with a cushion every day and uh, she doesn't like to eat, she won't eat anything you give her. She hunts at night and she eats at night, that's why she's so healthy. So anyhow, she loves being groomed. So she'll go by every enclosure and the animals love her. The dogs love her, everybody loves Sally. But in particular, she didn't like Buddha, who's a very quiet, loving creature, because he was a little big, as he's about like this, but she liked sweetie. So Buddha would throw food out, and, and then she wouldn't eat it, he'd throw something out. He kept throwing something until she finally said, sniffed it, ah, then he'd run back and he'd throw it closer, 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 there, and then he'd pet her. That takes an intelligence, right? There's a little little, uh, I, I got uh, from someone who couldn't handle them anymore, a little, a little uh, squirrel monkey. Tiny little thing. They all look like they're dying from malnutrition. Little tiny bodies. I mean, tiny. Fit in the palm of your hand. They weigh under a pound. And her partner died, and so she was lonely. And so I said I would try to find her a home for life. Well, seven years later, I couldn't find anyone who wanted her, because you can't just give them someplace, because they'll get in the hands of a breeder, because they're very expensive. But one day, I'm standing there, and I suddenly see what looked like a shadow run by me. I turn around, I didn't see anything. And then, as I'm walking back, there's Buddha sitting there eating, and here's this little spider monkey on his shoulder grooming him. She would come over every day, climb through there. The the cage is this big. She'd climb through there and groom Buddha. Now, Sweetie didn't want to be groomed, but Buddha did. So she would groom, groom, groom. She'd go try to play with Sweetie. Sweetie turned turn her back on her, but knew that she was just a little loving creature. So finally, she'd go back into her own place and sleep. And every day, this would go on to, to create a bond. I've seen every kind of, uh, even my macaw, Bloomingo macaw I have Sweetie. Um, I had just gotten a, uh, a little tiny capuchin monkey The the owner had had a heart attack down in Houston, couldn't take care of her, called me and said, I hear you take care of animals, you have an animal sanctuary, I said, I do. sent this uh, monkey up and I put it on my table where I work outside. And for three days, she never came out. I put food there in the morning, the food be eaten. And I'm sitting there and on on the third day, suddenly I see this little tiny finger come up and touch my finger and pull back. You know, and then she touched it again. I just left my hand there. So finally she was holding my finger, and then she, out came her little big eyes. and She did a little little murmur, because for a year they don't say anything. They're totally silent. And I believe that's genetic because in nature, if the mother is trying to keep them safe and you've got snakes up in the trees, like boa constrictors, uh, they have to be quiet. So I believe that's why. And anyhow, so it was wonderful, you know, to... See her grow and develop. And then I'd put her in her baby crib at night. In about three months, she had a, a security blanket. They all want teddy bears and security blankets. And a monkey will actually pull the sheets over them and wrap it. You can't know they're there. They'll sleep all night. And in the morning, their little eyes come out, and look at you. And so she learned she could climb up at the age of six months, climb up to the top of the bed at a canopy bed and dive down on me. So a dog th- throw the bone, and three times they'll get the bone, and then they lay down and so say, don't throw that stupid bone anymore, I'm not getting it. You go get your own bone. But a monkey will do it 300 times. <laughs> they never get tired. And it's so cute to see how they laugh, because they laugh. And they open their mouth and laugh, and you tickle them, and they laugh. <clears throat> and then one day, I have her outside, and Sweetie's in one enclosure, and she's in another one. But they're side by side, and it's just a screen enclosure, And I'm with all my animals every day, and some you can take out, and, and others you can't, all the hoof stalks out. And, but I look, and I'm looking out the window, and there's a little monkey, and she's sticking her little fingers through, and Sweetie's over there giving her a kiss on her finger. And then she puts her mouth up there, and Sweetie's kissing her. I've never seen that before. I'm a macaw and a monkey kissing each other, both were young uh, through and they became fast friends after that interesting how a universal truth is that creatures want to coexist they want to share love they want to be safe and we don't recognize this and so to my friends who are meat eaters i said spend a week with me up at the fertilizer farm upstate new york from 1971 to For 14 years thousands of people came up there on the weekends to learn farming and i gave classes to them gardening soil conservation ecology all that was taught and all the meals were vegan but most importantly it was my first animal sanctuary so people had a chance to see what animals were like when you were there to love them and not to factory farm them and then slaughter them and it turned a lot of people especially the kids it turned them into being vegans because they're impressionable. I said, Would you want to eat that little heifer? Oh no, no, I I I love it, and hugging, kissing. So now think of that. What if we told everyone who eats meat, we got the beef, right? All these different bacon and, and eggs and the hash browns, anything they can think of, they throw on there, right? all to create what is called product differentiation. Look at our product. It's better. And you serve something cheap, three bucks, two bucks, five bucks, and you get a whole meal. The trouble is there's nothing nutritious in that. Everything in there is pro-inflammatory and can cause and contribute to disease. But we don't look at where it came from. Our truth must deny the lack of civility, consciousness, morality, and ethics of where our food comes from. Because if you had to watch every stage of an animal's development to the final slaughter and see the terror in their eyes, you would say, I I can't handle this. But that's why I say, can you handle the truth? Remember, your truth is a very tiny, minuscule truth. That's your truth about everything. But in the larger world, when you at least make yourself vulnerable, I forgot. You can't look for any other truth if you're, vulnerable, if you're not vulnerable. So we hide from any other truth by not wanting to know, intentional ignorance. Your truth won't allow their truth to supersede because you can only have one truth of anything in life, one truth, you get one serving, one time, and it's supposed to cover all your needs for the rest of your life. This is your life, this is your truth, a single truth. We're not allowed to have two truths. We're not allowed to have five truths one truth and that's why you've been a mess that's why your life doesn't work that's why you have disease that's why you have cancer that's why you have heart blood, high blood pressure dementia arthritis one truth the truth is that there is no food or beverage that can prevent or treat any disease who says well i debated on my show in 1975 the head of the top rheumatologist in New York, and that was the actual statement, because I was reading to him from his own uh, rheumatology association, their truth. Nothing to do with diet, nothing to do with behavior, nothing to do with stress, nothing to do with the food, juices, nothing. But they were wrong. It has everything to do with creating inflammation, and your diet will create inflammation. The diet you're on, all your green juices, all your fruit juices, fresh made, all of your uh, sprouts that you're growing right up here in the sprout house every day, doing a great job of it, by the way. Uh, Delicious sprouts, microgreens. All the things you're doing, the fruits, have you all been eating the fruits off the tree? As much as you can eat. You cannot eat as much as what there is. Thousands of different loquats, for example. That turns off inflammation. That helps protect the cell. That's rich in enzymes versus orange drink grapefruit drink grape drink that is just sugar water with artificial coloring and flavor that creates inflammation this watermelon juice it heals inflammation you're taking in food gourmet food did you not have a gourmet beautifully presented meal today with a special chef we brought in from baltimore yeah Now, imagine that that truth that you can eat a different meal every day. Remember, we haven't had the same meal twice in two months. Different meal every day, gourmet presented, all you want to eat. Remember, have any been restricted to say, no, you can't have all that. You can have anything you want, as much as you want, because it's all healing. It's like saying, oh, we have to deal in moderation in all things. That's the truth. It was not what we were told in the 1950s, 60s, 70s and 80s. Moderation in all things, right? Barbara, you've been a nurse for 45 years. How many times have you heard a doctor say, well, after a surgery or something with doctor, uh, what can I eat? Oh, anything, just some moderation. Drinking in moderation, you know, just moderation. Don't get too much sunlight, just the opposite of what you need to know. And, and uh, moderate on your alcohol. Let me think about that. That's like saying, Um, you have a moderate amount of herpes, moderate amount of gonorrhea, moderate amount of, we are moderately dead, not completely dead, not completely alive somewhere in between. Let's guess, let's measure your symptoms. That's the dumbest statement medicine, which is dumb, dumb, dumb when it comes to chronic care and prevention. But they want you to believe that they're the only source of truth. Trust me, I'm Dr. Schmuck. And I can tell you from experience, I listen to no one. I don't need to. I'm, I'm born of divine insight. So eat anything, drink anything, in moderation. But Doctor, I'm a six foot four, two hundred and ninety-five-pound man. My daughter is is only six and she weighs forty-three pounds. Are you saying that? We can both eat anything we want in moderation, of course. How much is moderate? I can pack away a you know, whole steak. Moderate. You see, there is no such thing as moderate. But medicine and American science in, and in particular are really, they're really odd people because they start off with a, a supposition that take a theory and make it fact. Moderation. Well, where's the proof? Is a moderate amount of a toxin, mercury, lead, cadmium, aluminum, is that any less safe for the body because it's in less amount? It's any amount of those is toxic. There is no such thing as a safe amount of mercury, lead, cadmium and, uh, and aluminum. None. There is no such thing as a safe amount of alcohol. I wrote the book in 1974 on alcohol and nutrition. And I said, there's no safe amount. I've said that for decades. Now they finally acknowledge it. All these decades, 50 years later, they say, ah, you're right. But they don't say I'm right. They just no longer say that they're right. They've changed. They have a right to do that and take no responsibility for all the people who died based on misinformation they gave. Where I grew up, smoking tobacco packs was considered moderate. Some people smoke 4. When they're smoking 4, I'm only smoking 2-packs. It's nothing. Nothing. Who cares? Nothing. My lungs can handle it. But it wasn't true. We have morbid obesity in this country. Obesity and overweight. If you just take obese people in a country, it's one half. If you take overweight, it's 80% of the American population or higher. How many people in America are actually being healthy with their diet? 3%, 97% are not. Now you're talking about lawyers, doctors, engineers, accountants, business people, professors. You're talking about the full spectrum of highly educated people and they're all wrong because what they do shows that their truth doesn't work for them. So when you even apply your own truths to yourself, it still doesn't work. Now that's just about diet. And all the consequences now let's just take a different place money put your money in a bank it's safe no it's not well put it into a 401k you won't lose it yeah we did well the most important people in america to tell us how to bank are bankers and wall street people they have our interests at stake we have to protect them we have to save them no we don't there's nothing they do on wall street that contributes to your safety and well-being and your financial security If Wall Street ceased to exist tomorrow, we'd have a better world. Why? Simple, because they make money off money. They close factories by financing equity partners that buy companies. Think of linens and things. Think of of all the companies now, they're going broke. Think of Fairway, supermarket in New York. Think of, uh, let's see, uh, I would say Macy's, Federated Stores, almost all the historically well-run stores that had almost no debt, good working conditions, good salaries, now are all underwater. The executives get the bailout, the, the people working there don't, and uh, Toys R Us, a good example. When Bain Capital, which is owned by one of the partners is Mitt Romney, Nobody ever questioned him at any time about the unethical process of how you buy a company with money from Wall Street as a bridge loan. You use very little of your own money to buy it, maybe five, 10%. You take the assets of that company that might've been there for a hundred years, you strip off the assets, you sell what you can, you downsize people with no opportunity for getting compensated. And then when they do make money, saddle with enormous debt, you take every penny that comes in as a commission or a service fee until finally it collapses under debt. About six years, seven years average length of a company could have been profitable and a part of the community for decades. So, the, no, the truth is we could feed the whole world healthy food without genetic engineering, without pesticides, if we decentralized farming and allowed local farming to exist and supported it. But then again, when we tried that with a health food store, in comes Whole Foods and all small health food stores that were much better merchandised and ethical all went out of business. In comes a big farm, out goes the small ones. The truth is, if you now want to live in Florida on the East Coast, people are lining up to buy condos on the East Coast, Miami, South Beach, going clear down to the Keys. It's non-sustainable. Anyone with five minutes can look up and say, what is the first area of America that's going to go underwater? Southern Florida. Well, then why aren't people lining up? Because their truth is I got a good deal. I'm on the water and that's all that matters. I'm not looking for the future. That's a truth I don't want. I want to stay intentionally negligent of the truth that the environment's going to come back and bite me in the ass. California, dumbest policy I've ever seen. Let's go buy a house there in the woods, but that's dry. You lost 100 million trees last year. They're dry. The whole state's on fire for 12 months a year. How many fires does it take? Well, there's a good deal then. Let's go on the ocean. Now you've got erosion. You've got radiation coming across the Pacific from Fukushima. You've got toxic blooms. You've got toxic fish and toxic seaweed. It's no longer a beautiful environment that it once was. It's time has come and gone. Well, it's still time for me. Then I'll go in and make a deal. Wrong place. Wrong time, no support system, a corrupt government, stupid policies, over congested. Yeah, I know what we're gonna do today. We're gonna get in our car because we can't afford to live in LA now, but one day we will, but we're gonna live an hour and a half away and we're gonna commute at about three miles an hour with everyone else. We're gonna breathe in all those fumes and and then we're gonna get in and we're gonna go to work at a work we really don't like, but we have to work there. So we can afford to live back there. We really don't like it either. It's just kind of transitory. And we're around with everyone else. It's kind of transitory. But in five years or 10 years, we'll be able to go and live there. What kind of mind is that? That's a truth that is so monotheistic. It refuses to acknowledge its own limitations. And almost all individual collective truths are singular. They don't ask other people with other beliefs, what do you think of this? What do you think of how I'm raising my kid? Now, I've given my kid everything, uh, and the newest stuff all over the internet is you've got to be a friend to your kid. So I hang out, we, I, I go to their pajama parties, and I, I'm with them all the time, and we talk. And it's not like a mother or daughter. It's like a, she's my younger daughter, and I'm her older sister, and we're best friends. Now we get her everything, and we have no—we don't believe in limiting her. So she has cell phones on, and she sees people under her head. I tried to suggest maybe she didn't. No, no, no. She wants it because if something rings, she's got to be instantly up. She's on her computer all day, and we don't ask her to study, because out here in California, not a whole lot of people <laughs> have to study. If you're rich and famous, we can buy your way into a school. We can afford it. We can afford it. You know, uh, and. Uh, And if you're not that bright, don't worry, we can hire people to take tests for you. We do it all the time. Every college and university in America has people taking tests. Thesis degree, thesis papers turned in by people you pay, uh, PhDs, Uh, you can get people to do everything for you. In fact, you don't even have to go to school to get a graduate degree today, as long as you have the money. And so you're, you're looking at someone who is a completely artificially manufactured child in a bubble, but boy, do we really value her. She's never criticized, cause she can't criticize him. Cause then that creates kind of offensive of, you know, she'll say, you want me to clean my room? You just said something I feel threatened by. I'm threatened by your word. Leave this, and I got to call the analyst. I got to call the therapist. I got to call the psychiatrist. Get me another prescription for Prozac. I'm not even sure that I can look at you right now. I got to call all my friends, text all my friends, I got 3,000, and tell them my mother actually had trigger words. She wanted me to clean up my room as if somehow, what, am I a peasant? Am I day labor? Uh, what do you all think? Tell me how my mother, who I thought was my best friend, just upset my whole day. My whole day's gone. Sound familiar? Yeah not just familiar, that's the new reality for probably 80% of all young people, millennials, teenagers in America, total, totally lost into this ethereal, non-intellectual, non-spiritual, non-common sense or reason way of raising a child. And then when the child ends up acting out later in life, the teacher wanted to give me a B, I deserve an A, you don't worry. I'll take care of Teacher, do you know who this is? Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am, officer? Hmm, are you Reese? What's her name? That actress? Witherspoon. 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 Didn't she have one of those? Do you know who I am? Yeah. You're getting a ticket. <laughs> I'm a somebody. Really? No, you're just a schmuck like everyone else in Hollywood. What what a just god there's currently a program called Hollywood. I didn't know about my friend who who's an acting teacher. He said you got to watch this. This is crazy. So I've watched all of it. And it takes everything that's real in Hollywood and simply burlesques it. You know, makes it a little more a little more extreme, but it's all true. Hustling, lying, deceiving, conniving. My god. And that's the culture. Now, that doesn't mean that it's everyone, but it's certainly a lot of them. Because once you're in the culture, you're in their truth. You want to be rewarded, you keep your mouth shut, you go along with stuff. And that's why Harvey Weinstein was able to be the predator he was for 25 years. Do you think it just came out with Farrell's book? Everyone knew about that, everyone. And I have friends who are very powerful in Hollywood. They all knew it. But they said, if you're gonna get a Harvey Weinstein, then you gotta get about 10,000 other people because there's 10,000 Harvey Weinsteins in there. So now they've got their sacrificial Harvey Weinstein and now everybody go back to business. That's their truth. What if we had to have every single person in Hollywood take a lie detector test? Before you could do anything, you first had to be tested. As an actor, actress, director, producer, screenwriter, anyone, agent, have you ever, Solicited sex. Have you ever acted sexually inappropriate? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stole from someone like commissions? Have you manipulated your own clients? Suddenly, all of Hollywood would look like a lockdown from the coronavirus. You'd have one person walking around saying, I'm honest. Hire me. Is there a job here? God, What hypocrites? What? But for those of us outside, we can see it. The trouble is, when your own truth is a lie, you can't see it because your ego defends it. Is any of this resonating with you? So when I said, the topic of my lecture is, can you handle the truth? I'm not parroting Jack Nicholson being questioned by Tom Cruise and and that film. What was that? A Few Good Men. Yeah. No, I'm saying that just about every single part of our life we live through limited, limited awareness, greater lies, and nothing changes. Let, Let's take care of your baby. But then you abandon every possible way of helping women and men who need to put their child while they work into daycare, even a holistic daycare. There's no money for them. There's no money for the person struggling. There's no money to relieve the student that wants to go to vocational school, and they got to create the same debt as someone, but not as much. If you, if you want to be a beautician, if you just want to be able to groom hair, it's about $13,000 to go to their schools. But what happens if there are not jobs? Interest rates compounded. You could pay $30,000. You're going to help these people. If you're not helping all the students, then what is your truth about caring for the students? If you know they're not going to be jobs for those students when they get out. And right now, listen carefully. Probably 70% of all people in college right now, there will not be a job in your field at a living wage when you get out. If you do get a job, it's going to be a minimal job, unless you're a doctor or a nurse or one of the eight fields where they have some jobs, but automation, artificial intelligence, uh, visas coming in from other countries, they're going to take in transhumanists going to take your jobs. Then outsourcing, they're going to take your jobs. They're going to take the whole plant. Keep the name, Manufacture the product in China and bring it back. Are they telling you this when you go to sign up? No, they're not because they want your money. Do you think I trust Harvard, Yale, Princeton, the administrators, the trustees, the people that oversee their, their, uh, gigantic amounts of money they have in their trust accounts? Not at all. In my opinion, every one of them is mercenary no matter how they try to whitewash their reputations, because if they really cared, they would take their endowments at Harvard, about $40 billion more or less, and they would pay off all the student debt in their university and still have billions left over. They're not gonna do it. And why are you paying so much money? Profit, not because you're getting a better education. Do you really think do you really think, does your truth tell you that if you go to an Ivy League school, you're gonna get a better education? You're not, it's a lie. It's, am I alienating a lot of people? <laughs> if I haven't offended you yet, I'm working on it. <laughs> but it, is it true what I'm saying or not? If it's not true, call me out. It's true, isn't it? Yeah, you're not gonna get the respect as a former chairman of a department at a respected school that you would get if you were the chairman of the same type of department at Harvard or Yale, you're not getting the same money you would get there. And yet, are you any less gifted as an artist? Are your students able to learn how to master their craft by your teachings? They're doing well and you're doing well. Your work has appeared in many respected places. You just hit the cover of a very respected art magazine, one of the most respected art magazines in America and you're on the cover. How many Ivy League teachers of art could say they made the cover of that magazine? Their work is displayed in different galleries around the world. Very few. But they had the panache of, I'm special, I'm from Harvard. Oh yeah, oh yeah. God, Jesus, man. There is so much arrogance and conceit and narcissism in all of you Ivy League colleges. That's my <laughs> truth. <laughs> because well let's ask i'm gonna ask you something if i lied and played political and ideological and only said the right things for the right groups would you be here no, no. no. one of the reasons you're here is because i'm one of the few people in America that's willing to sell, tell the truth as i see it if i'm wrong call me out if i'm right then at least i'm resonating something that you should know and we should have some comfort in. That you're not the only one who sees spoiled, petulant people, narcissistic people, running institutions that should not be there. We should have people who are open, humane, sensitive, empathetic, intelligent, and wanting to see critical learning as the core faculty criteria, not who gave a builded a building on campus and suddenly that person's in there, or who gave an endowment, a former graduate, and suddenly their kids get in, or who got, was rich enough to have their kids get in and be on a rowing team when they didn't know what a row was, how to row. But that's what we're seeing, aren't we? Here's the story you're seeing. Huffington and some of the others arrested, pled guilty, or are going to trial for what amounts to bribery. You're giving someone money, right? to get something that you didn't earn. Here's what you're not seeing, And that's insignificant, insignificant. What you're not seeing is how many people will pay someone to take a test for them, pay to go to class for them, pay to write a thesis for them. We're talking about not a few hundred celebrities or rich people who should never have had a kid, but instead we're talking about tens of thousands participating in that scam. That's been going on for 40 years, 40 years. I remember when I went to school and others and you went to school, if we earned a doctorate, we earned a doctorate. If we had to show mastery of field, we showed mastery of field. It was our brains, our effort, our knowledge, our commitment to excellence that got us our doctorates. Today, I wouldn't trust anybody that came out of these schools as if they had had no help getting their doctorate or masters or even their bachelor's degree. So we're living a lie. We don't have an educational system that is there primarily to teach people critical thinking skills that we once had. Their skills were honed in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and even 70s. It stopped then. That does not mean that every kid graduating school does not have a right to declare, I did it on my own with my teacher's help because there are a lot of those students. I'm talking about the ones that we assume that everyone is this way. It's not. That's one of the lies. So we lie about wanting to be healthy. I want to be healthy. Prove it. What do you mean? Well, you're overweight. That means you mastered overeating. You mastered gluttony. You mastered obesity. You mastered the excuses. Now you can give me an excuse, and I don't accept excuses. I accept results. So show me you deserve my respect by honoring that you do want to be healthy by being healthy. Just do it. Don't talk about it. Because you start talking about it, your subconscious is going to be all that I hear, and it's going to build into our discussion, all of the excuses. Well, you know, this happened. I was in a bad relationship. I lost my this, and that happened. And therefore, I had no choice. I had to eat that five-pound cake myself and the two tubs of ice cream that went with it and got up at three in the morning and ate the oreos so so we can make an excuse for not honoring a truth or we can honor the truth occam's razor go right to the heart of anything don't blink don't lie just tell the truth what is the problem and there is the answer right in front of you And said, we can't handle that i can't handle that i can't handle that gary I'm not used to being direct and so let's go over here let me triangulate with excuses now I didn't know that eating x would cause I didn't I didn't read that by being sedentary for I didn't know oh yeah you you didn't want to know or you did know and denied it now forgive your past but learn its lesson forgive others for what they've done to you or with you and go forward. So if you want a truth that you can live by, that is ethical, honorable, moral, decent, and challenging, that allows you a chance to grow, because if your truth locks you in, so you can't do what you want to do, because you as the individual don't count what you represent to the larger community, the cult, the group, the guild, the sorority, the fraternity, that's all that matters. So I am Phi Kappa Beta. No, you're a human being. That's just a little... Nuisance club. What else are you? Are you an individual? Do you have a right to speak your mind? Do you have a right to look for truth beyond the controlled truth that others guide you by? So when you can break free of all these constraints, when you can read the books you want to read, when you can watch the films you want to watch, when you can eat the foods you want to eat, and all those do one thing that is a truth. They all help you. So what helps you then continues your inspiration of trusting and trying and going forward. So by example, you then one day look in the mirror and say, you know something? I deserve to respect myself because I'm making no excuses for my weaknesses. I'm trying to understand them. I'm trying to limit them. I'm trying to not put my limitation or my dark side onto anyone else. I'm trying not to bring my lower common denominator into anyone else's life. They don't deserve that. Anyone in my life deserves for me to respect them, to have their back, to be patient and understanding, to not try to change them into my image or my needs. And that's what I have to do. And today I can do that because I have confidence. I don't have to wait, hold on, hold on. Am I allowed to say something? I'm sorry, I can't tell the truth. Not, not the whole truth. How much truth can I tell them? I can only tell you one-tenth of one percent truth, except it is a hundred percent. No, I want to hear what you have to say. I can't tell you what I have to say because I don't know what to say except what others have told me to say. I can only read what they've written in this book, and that's my truth. My own personal truth I don't have. I, as an individual, no longer exist. I, as a part of a collective whole, a consensus, I exist there. And some of my needs are taken care of, but I'm not allowed to have freedom. I don't have freedom to look outside of my belief system. I don't have freedom to question other people uh, who have left my belief system. I can't talk with those people. They're the heterotics. They're the stupid people. They're the quacks. Gary Oh, what a nut job. You know, There's a bad apple. You know, he's, he's one of these people that believe that what you think you can become. And he's one of these people who believe in nature. Nature's not there to believe in. Nature's there. Look, if we got a tree and it's got fruit. Pick the fruit and then cut down the tree because we'll use it for wood. You wanna believe in that? No, there's too much danger in being that that open, that real, that free. Now we have to moderate our freedoms. We have to moderate. We can't go overboard. I mean, after all, be realistic. He wants you to be healthy and happy. Whoa, I mean, how healthy do you want me to be? Let's not get radical. You want me to take 10 vitamins? I won't have any time all day except to take 10 vitamins. You're eating 25 French fries. Well, that's different. I can eat 25 French fries at one time, and I can have that 16 ounce Coke of sugar water, and phosphoric acid, and I can eat over 700 grains of sugar in a teaspoon, but don't ask me to, to eat vitamins. It's too much. Let's go slower. One vitamin, per month. I can handle that, that's moderation. And don't ask me to be too happy. I mean, nobody's too happy, right? No, no, we can't be too happy. No, nobody can be that happy. No, I refuse. Not gonna be happy, not today. It's my non, I got somewhere written down. Tuesday, not that happy. I'm not that happy. Don't try to give me any reason to be happy. I'm not gonna even smile today. Too much smiling is bad causes wrinkles. I, I read it somewhere, Wikipedia. That's an encyclopedia you can believe, right? Um, I really like the reputations of the people on Wikipedia. They're experts in their field. They tell you right there, uh, anonymous. Anonymous. No, Britannica says professor of history, and published peer-reviewed journals, and therefore he is using this page that i can well that's legitimate how do i know that that anonymous editor is not spending half their day with calluses on their left hand in their mother's basement watching porn how do i know i don't know Where's again we trust in something and we believe it's the truth until we show there's a whole other truth that's absolutely the opposite the holistic doctor is not to be trusted yet they're the one curing people where the orthodox doctor Outside of emergency medicine is not curing people. The rheumatologist is not going to cure your arthritis. They'll treat you. They're not going to cure it. The heart doctor is not going to cure your heart disease. And if you should be cured of a cancer, they're going to take 100% of the credit without looking at anything else you did that could have cured it. But the holistic doctor is humble. They've had to live in the shadow of disrespect. They've had to approach every conference. I'm sorry. My head is bowed down. Oh, great board certified doctors. I apologize for curing people. You're too goddamn dumb to cure. I apologize for even that thought. I apologize for keeping people healthy when you promote sickness. I apologize for keeping people alive where you are the number one cause of death. I apologize, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I shouldn't even be able to speak, only you, the sacred ones from Eli Lilly and all the major drug companies. You should be the only people who are considered the truth well, in fact, you are. You're the only one considered the truth. That's the re- Isn't it the truth? Yeah. Are you looking for alternative truths? And if so, how do you deal with the fact that now you have got two truths? One from countercurrent, one from counterpunch, one from global research. And now you've got to compare that to MSNBC, CNN, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, New York Times. Wow. They both say their truth. One says the coronavirus has killed this amount of people, but there's no test that was taken on the vast majority of people who died. They're just listing coronavirus. Most of people in nursing homes were the highest group of a single group to die. No autopsies, no tests, but they all died of coronavirus. So we're told, but it's not true. It was a comorbid factor. Over here, we have people who are being treated differently. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy down in Louisiana, small group of people, but they gave this as compassion and none of them died. They all got better. They didn't have to go to, not one had to go to a respirator. Two truths, which one do you choose? What if there's a hundred truths? Which one do you choose? Which do you allow in? We are monotheistic. One truth collapses all other truths under it. You're only allowed one truth in our society today in every part of your life.